0: This evening we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter number 2. And tonight I really just have more of a Christmas meditation for you than anything else, to be honest with you. And the meditation is somewhat different, but it's going to start in the book of Luke, chapter 2. And I'm going to begin at verse 22, and we'll read... Uh, down through some of this text here, down through verse 39 and verse 40, somewhere around there. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we read these words. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord... Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. Lord, the joy of Christmas is that Christ is born. It is not that you made a promise you could not fulfill. It is not that you made a promise that you were hoping would come to pass but weren't sure how it would. You made a promise and you kept your promise and you kept it in the way you had intended to from eternity past. And for that, we will be forever grateful, singing your praises in heaven because of that promise. And as we meditate upon the truths of your word this evening, Lord, may it pierce our own soul, even as the, th- the sayings of Simeon pierced the hearts and minds of Joseph and Mary. And may we be reflecting upon the joy that we have as Christians because of Christ. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You probably have your own Christmas traditions, I would imagine. Everybody has at least one, I would say, if they enjoy Christmas season, if they celebrate the Christmas season, they have some kind of tradition. For some, the the favorite tradition is gathering together as a family, unpacking the Christmas tree and putting it together. I don't know if you're one of those people who has fake versus real. I'm team fake. I like fake trees. But if you have a fake tree, one of the challenges is which one do you get? Do you get the one that has the arms that fold up and when you open the box and set it on the pedestal, it just kind of falls out and it's already set up for you? Or do you have the kind we have where you have to literally take limb by limb and figure out which one goes where and you have to go through and spread them all out? It's kind of a process. It's an art even. There's that. Everyone loves decorating the tree. I'm sure maybe you have um, your own traditions of decorating Cookies, Christmas cookies, or decorating the outside of your house, things like that. Or you may have certain other things that you do. For example, perhaps you have certain Christmas movies that you watch every Christmas year, perhaps even on the same day. Um, Some of you might remember watching different versions of A Christmas Carol. Growing up, I always watched one. I think it was from the late 1930s or early 1940s. I'm guessing on that, but it's black and white, and it starred Alistair Sim as uh, Scrooge in it, and that's the one we would watch every Christmas day. We'd watch that at Christmas Carol. But there was actually another movie that my family, growing up, would always watch, and we would—I'm not sure how the tradition started, but every Christmas Eve, after we had our candlelight service, after we would go to all my family members and we'd deliver cookies that my mom and sisters had made— at night we'd have all the lights turned off except for the Christmas tree in our living room and we'd watch a specific Christmas movie, even though it wasn't originally intended to be so. Every Christmas Eve we would watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Some of you are nodding your heads like that, that's that's one you've definitely seen. This movie is really just a fascinating movie to me. It was not originally intended to be a Christmas movie, but apparently, I was doing some research on it, apparently, about 30 years after the film was made, they just started airing it every Christmas season. And that's kind of been the tradition ever since then. So for some people, that's how it became part of their Christmas tradition. It is one that I enjoy to this day with my family now on Christmas Eve, watching It's a Wonderful Life. And the happy Hallmark romantic fun fact about that is actually... I traveled on a Christmas Eve all the way from Minnesota to Iowa to surprise Laura at her house while they were watching It's a Wonderful Life and proposed to her at her house while she was watching it. So, yes, yes, I did do that. (laughs) There is a slight romantic bone in my body somewhere. (laughs) So uh, this movie, though, I bring this up because this movie is really fascinating. The plot is fascinating. You follow the life of one guy named George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, and his life just seems to be one gigantic, like, disappointment because he has all these grand hopes of traveling the world and being the greatest architect or being the world's greatest this or that or whatever the case may be, and it seems like he's stuck in this teeny little town called Bedford Falls, and for whatever reason, somebody needs him here, his dad needs him over at, uh, at the building and loan, and whatever the case, he can never get away, and it just frustrates him but there's always some reason why he stays back. Well, as you go throughout the movie, and I have no idea if there's anybody here who's not seen the movie, but as you go throughout the movie, there is a point where there's this big crisis moment in his life, and he's not really sure what to do. But it's a great crisis for him, and all of the crises he had faced up to that point, he was able to essentially deal with. He was a very shrewd young man. But this crisis was insurmountable. There was no way he was going to be able to overcome it so, it crossed his mind, what if I just take my own life? In fact, he asks this question at one point in the movie. He asks, he, he, maybe it was just better if I had never been born. And of course, part of the plot of the movie, I don't want to give it all away, but the part of the plot of the movie is that is what ends up happening. He's granted a wish where he can see what life would look like had he never been born. That movie is a fantastic movie. If you've not seen it, I'm trying not to give it away. Most of you probably have seen it, so you know how it goes. But that question, what if he had never been born, crossed my mind as I was reading Luke 2. Because there is this guy named Simeon. And This is just a fascinating thing here. You get down to uh, Luke chapter 2. You get down there to verse 26. This guy named Simeon, he's been serving the Lord. He's a devout man. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And in verse 26, it said, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon has not seen the Lord's Christ. So he knows, I'm not going to die yet. My, today's not my, my dying day yet because I haven't seen the Lord's Christ. I'm waiting for this moment. And it cropped, just a crazy thought crossed my head. What if he had been fooled? What if he had been completely deluded? He had, he, I don't know, he ate pizza the night before and had a dream where somebody in this dream told him you're going to see the Lord's Christ and he spent his entire life waiting to see the Lord's Christ but it's only because he, he ate pizza the night before and had a weird dream. What if Jesus had never come? And then I thought, okay, my previous sermon, we were talking about the whole storyline, overarching story of the Bible. But what if Jesus hadn't come? What if Jesus had never been born? What would be the ramifications of that? So tonight, I just want to give you a couple meditations, things that are based on Scripture, but it's almost like the inverse of what the Scripture says because I want us to think through the serious, significant implications of what it would mean if Jesus had never been born. So just several thoughts for you for this evening. What if the Lord Jesus had never been born? What if he had never come? Well, number one, here is the first significant reality, is if Jesus had never been born, then humanity would be left in its sinful estate. That is reality number one. We could even go back further and say, well, what if, Jesus, what if there was no such thing as a God? What well, if we go back that far? I'm just starting out with the premise that there is a God, and he made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. But what if he wasn't able to keep that promise? He made a promise that he couldn't keep. What would then be the case? Well, the reality is we would be left in our sinful estate. There's no hope. No matter how hard we try... We cannot do anything to earn God's favor. You know this. You feel this in your own heart. You know that you want to honor the Lord with your life, that you don't want to do anything that would be um, dismissive of his law, dismissive of his holy character, and yet you still sin. You have God's Holy Spirit residing within you who strengthens you to do exactly what God wants you to do, but you still sin. If we who have the Holy Spirit still struggle with the remnants of indwelling sin, what possible hope could we have of ever being relieved of our sinful estate if Jesus had never been born? There would be no hope. There would be no hope. We would literally be lost in our sin for eternity, and we would experience the just wrath of God we would be left in our trespasses and sins. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, right? And you hath he quickened who were dead, not sick, not, well, morally misguided. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And dead men tell no tales. Dead men can't do anything. We are morally bankrupt. We can do nothing to please God. If Jesus had not been born, he would not have died, and we would be lost in our trespasses and sins. Here's a second one for you. If Jesus had not come, not only would we be left in our sinful estate, but number two, God himself would be a liar. I already referenced Genesis 3.15. God was under no obligation to show any mercy to his creatures who had rebelled against him, but what did he do in the curse that he gives to the serpent? He gives this glimmer of hope that one day, he didn't say when, one day, there would be a seed of the woman, a descendant of the woman who would come to crush the serpent's head. And for us, that is the the hallelujah, praise the Lord moment of Scripture, that he didn't leave us in our trespasses and sins, but he gave us the hope that one day we would be redeemed. But what if... Jesus had never come. God would be a liar. God would have made a promise that would have demonstrated he's not holy, he's not just, he's not merciful, he's not righteous. He would have been made a liar. But Scripture tells us that it's impossible for God to lie. Not just that he doesn't lie, or not just that, well, he kind of stretches the truth here and there. God himself cannot lie because he himself is the truth. God cannot lie. It is literally impossible for God to lie. And so we know that if Jesus had not come, God would be a liar. But now Jesus has come, and God has demonstrated that he is the truth. And in fact, in the book of John, Jesus records, or John records that Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth and demonstrates the truthfulness of who God is and what he has said. Number three, if Jesus had not come, we would be of all men most miserable. Why do I say that? Because when you get to 1 Corinthians 15... What argument is Paul making in that chapter? Jesus is risen. He has risen from the dead. He is gloriously raised. He has been vindicated. But what if he isn't risen? Paul says there are some people who are saying that there's no resurrection of the dead. How can those people say such things? Do you not realize the implications of saying there is no resurrection from the dead? Paul tells the church in Corinth, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then there is no risen Jesus. If there is no risen Jesus, then there are no apostles who are preaching the truth. And if there are no apostles who are preaching the truth, then we are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. And if we are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, then we are, of all men, most miserable. We're of all men most miserable. If Jesus had never come, there would be no resurrection from the dead. There would be no hope. We would be of all men most miserable. Number four, if Jesus had not come, then we've been deceived. God is a liar. So that is, is that. That is, if Jesus has not come, then we have something against God. He is a liar. But this is the other side of that coin is that we have been deceived. Because for the last 2,000 years, people have been meeting together in pews, much like this, in great cathedrals. There have been men who have been very learned and have studied the Scriptures, many of whom even memorize the Scriptures, who have been propagating a lie. And not only have been propagating a lie, have been telling other people to go and propagate that lie. If Jesus had not come, then for the last 2,000 years, there have been millions and billions of people who have been deceived. And the world, frankly, wants us to believe that. They want us to believe that we've been deceived. Either they say, oh, there is no such thing as a historical Jesus Or they want to say, okay, maybe there was a historical Jesus, but he most certainly didn't do the fanciful things that are recorded in the Bible, right? There's no way that he was making the blind see and the deaf to hear hear and the dumb to speak. And most certainly, there's no possible way. He raised people from the dead, let alone himself being risen from the dead. None of that could possibly be true. You all have deceived yourselves. But now we know that this is true. In fact, not only have we the inner witness of the Holy Spirit within us who is testifying to us that these things are true, but God, even in his wisdom and mercy, has given to us people as eyewitnesses. The apostles saw the risen Lord. There were wise men who saw the baby Jesus and the star that led them to where he was. There were shepherds who were abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and lo, the the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They see the angels, the heavenly hosts and angels up in the sky, and they are sore afraid, it says in the King James. And the angel proclaims to them, go into Bethlehem and you will see Jesus, the Son of God. And here's how you'll know that it's him. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You will know it's him. And they went and they saw that it was true. They weren't all hallucinating seeing the exact same vision at the exact same time. They went and saw it was true, and what was their reaction to it? Did they say, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, let's go back over to the the flocks of sheep. It says that they were praising God and rejoicing, and the people were marveling at what they were telling them. There were people who saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ, Mary, who saw her Lord at the tomb. There were the disciples who were hiding in an upper room, fearing for their very lives because their master had been killed. And all of a sudden, with doors being locked and windows being shut, he appears in the room. And they see him. And even then, when they see him, they still don't want to believe it. They suppose maybe it's a ghost. He says, look. There's the nail scars. And a week later, he'll tell to Thomas, Thomas, here is the hole in my side. Don't be faithless. Be believing and those men many of them almost all of those men would give their lives they would literally go to their dying day with this message on their lips Jesus is risen from the dead they died for it because they saw and Jesus said one thing to Thomas that just gives me great comfort when Thomas proclaims the great, the great uh, proclamation of the identity of Jesus, my Lord and my God, Jesus says to him, you believe because you saw me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. For most of 2,000 years of church history, that has been the case. We haven't with our eyes seen the Lord. In fact, Peter would write to the dispersion, the Jews of the diaspora, and he would tell them, whom having not seen, ye love. Just because we have not seen it with our eyes doesn't mean the Lord left us without eyewitnesses to the reality that there is a real Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago, who did live the sinless, perfect life that we are supposed to live in order to be in the presence of God, but cannot live, and that he died the sinner's death that we deserve to die. They saw him hanging on the tree. They heard him cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They saw him look at his mother and say, Mother, behold your son. And they saw him look at John. And say, son, behold your mother. They watched him care for his own mother while he's dying on the cross. They saw these things. If only they could be here right now. To, and you would see the passion on their faces and in their hearts. And even the, the joy in their faces and eyes. Proclaiming the message they know to be true. We have the inward witness of the testimony of God's Holy Spirit, we have eyewitnesses who have seen that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus really lived. Because it's not that he never came. It's that he did come, most assuredly. And that he did come to save us from our sins. We have not been deceived. I'll give you maybe two more. Number... Five, men and women of church history, if Jesus had not come, would have nothing to live or die for. You and I are living church history right now. We're living in it right this moment. Think of all of the people who have given their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think of men most recently, like like a Jim Elliot, who wanted to give the gospel to primitive peoples, and ultimately gave his life for it. Think of people going back even before the Reformation era, people who were giving their lives so that somebody, the plowboy, could have a copy of the scriptures in his hands. Think of the Christians in the early first several centuries who were in Colosseums for the mere pleasure and entertainment of pagan people, being tied at stakes and ripped to shreds by animals at the whim and pleasure of people who don't love the Lord. All of these people lived and died because they believed that there was a baby who had been born. That there was a child who grew up to be exactly as the Holy Spirit had told to Simeon. That he would see the Lord's Christ And that this child would be the one who would be the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And that he would be the salvation for all peoples. Those people gave their lives because they believed it to be true. You, I hope, are willing to give your life because you believe it to be true. That Jesus is the Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary and that he truly did die on the cross and rise for our sins. I'll give you one more. Number seven, or number six, excuse me. If Jesus had not come, then what we would see is the degradation of human society farther along than it already is. If Jesus had not come, where would we be today? This is something, I think, even in our Sunday school lessons in the youth group, we've been going through this study from Positive Action called God's Prevailing Work, and it's describing in a summary form the, the church history from the early first century all the way up to the Reformation, and we're using biblical principles to see how God has providentially directed his church. One of the things that they brought out in that study, and you and I may not necessarily think about or realize, but it's very true, is that God in his providence has used even the message of Christianity and the truths of God's word, even God's word itself, to be a restraining influence in culture. It has been used, the scriptures even themselves have been used to educate people. Throughout much of human history, only the elite could be educated, only the elite could read. But because of the spread of Christianity, particularly after the 4th century, it began to spread, and people were being educated slowly. Of course, there's the Dark Ages and Middle Ages, etc. But, but at some point, Christianity was used by the Lord to bring about the fact that more people could be literate than had been throughout much of human history. Or what about the wonderful Christian ethical influences, even in the teachings of our Lord? that much of the world who doesn't know God has no relationship, at least no saving relationship with God, they still believe. Our culture, as degraded as it is, still has limits to how far it will accept certain things. And that is a direct influence of the influence of God's Word and Christians. If Jesus had not come then we have no reason of hope to be saved from our sins. And humanity, the story of humanity, would be one that is purely uh, pessimistic, sad. There would be no happy ending because there's a God who made a promise and he didn't keep it. Because there's people who are lost in their trespasses and sins and they're hopeless. There is no hope. Without a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, there is no hope. And humanity would only be further and further spiraling out of control in their lostness and in their sin. It's a very sad picture. But here's the joy. None of this is true. Jesus did come. Jesus did come. He was born of a virgin named Mary, and he lived the perfect life we could not live, and he died the sinner's death. We deserve to die. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He appeared to his disciples, and then before he left, he told them, now what I want you to do is I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus did come. If Jesus had not come, this world would be a very different place. We would be doing something completely different this evening, most likely. But now Jesus has come, and he is the hope that we have to offer to the world. Because right now, as far as they're concerned, people who don't know the Lord, it may as well have been that Jesus never came because they don't care. But we have to show them their desperate need for Christ. We have to proclaim the message of Christ because alone, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what will save them. Not coming to a church, not being baptized, not doing all kinds of wonderful moral things, though those are good things to do, none of them will ultimately save them before the Lord. The only thing that will save them is believing that there was a child who was born 2,000 years ago, Who died and rose again so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So, Lord, please help this be upon our hearts that though the world may try to mock us to scorn, to make us believe that there was no such thing as a child who had been born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, we have the truth, Lord. You have given to us the truth within your word. So embolden us. We have the hope. We have the end of the story. Lord, I pray for any person who is hearing this, who has not trusted Jesus as their personal Savior from their sins. I pray, Lord, that you would move within them their, to help them see their great need for Christ to be saved from the wrath that is to come. For those of us who love you and are awaiting your appearing, help us by the working of your spirit and by the enabling of your grace to proclaim this message that Jesus was born, that he died in our place, and that he gloriously rose from the dead. This message that has saved us and that we proclaim to the world.